just want to briefly introduce Anthony for us before he comes up to speak. Uh, Anthony is, is a new friend for, for us, for me and Josh. We've been getting to know him recently. He's uh, involved in our presbytery in a lot of really cool ways. Uh, he is the assistant director. Uh, is that, is that, that's the correct terminology, right? I got it, yeah. The assistant director of the West Coast region for Mission to the World, which is uh, a kind of a missions-focused agency in our denomination. Uh, married to Jana for uh, how many years? Almost 10 years. Okay, three boys, father of three boys, eight, six, and four, right? So I'm sure he's got tons of downtime. He's really looking for things to do. He's also doing seminary stuff and working full-time doing mission stuff. So we're really glad to have him here today, and I get to invite him up just to come bring the word. So Anthony, the floor is yours. Testing. Oh, there we go. I was telling the paradise location earlier, forgive me, this is going to be pretty bad. Lord have mercy. All right. So I was telling the paradise location this morning to please keep me in prayer. And I'm going to say our brother Bradley as well. It's been a really tough morning with the loss of Green Bay last night to the 49ers. No, 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 no. No, but uh, I told my, my three boys this morning, I said, that when daddy dies, please have the Packers lower me in the ground so they can let me down one more time. <laughs> so pray for me and Bradley. We, we, we hurting this morning. But we sang this morning that God is a mender of, and a healer of broken hearts, and Jesus, we need that. Lord of mercy. Guys, it's so good to be with you uh, today, and uh, just really excited. So let's go ahead and let's just pray, and we'll, we'll dive right in. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. We love you. We thank you. We adore you. Father, would you be glorified today? Jesus, would you be exalted? Holy Spirit, would you do your work in our midst, build up your people? And if there's anyone here, Lord God, who has not yet come to know you, Jesus. May today be the day of salvation. May they take a step closer to you, Jesus. Forgive us for our sins as we forgive those who have done us wrong. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On June 19th, 1865, two years after President Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation, General Gordon Granger, along with some of his soldiers, rode into Galveston, Texas. And there he read to the slaves General Order Number 3, which begins with these words. The people of Texas are informed that in accordance with the proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. From that day forward, June 19th, 1865, June 19th is known as Juneteenth. It became a federally uh, recognized holiday back in 2020. And it's also known as Black America's Independence Day. And it's a day that's filled with a lot of fun, a lot of food, a lot of just talking about issues that are relevant to the African-American community. 
But for just a few minutes this afternoon, this evening, I want you to imagine that you are one of the enslaved. And from the earliest memories, your earliest memories, from a toddler all the way up into your adult years, all you know is slavery. All you remember is life under a brutal Texas sun in horrendous humidity. Under the whip of a master who is so willing to use it against you if you displease him in any way, shape, or form. You have siblings, but you haven't seen them. They were torn from you at birth and sold to a different family. You have parents, but you're lucky if you get to stay with your parents. And maybe you shouldn't get married because if you do, you might get your spouse taken away and any children that come along with that. And what is the one thing that you think of every single morning you wake up? Freedom. What is the one thing that you think about when you lay down at night? Freedom. All you want is to taste the cool waters of freedom. All you want is not a life of luxury or wealth. All you want is a life of dignity, worth, and respect. The dignity, worth, and respect you deserve as an image bearer of God. All you want is life, liberty, and justice for all. But you start to figure out that that promise does not belong to you. Because when those words were penned, you were not included in those words. So minute by minute, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, decade by decade, you hope. You hope for freedom. You pray to God, the God of the Hebrews. You have freed the Hebrew people. Would you free us? And yet your great-grandparents prayed that prayer, and they died in bondage. Your grandparents prayed that prayer, and they died in bondage. Your parents prayed that prayer, and they died in bondage. You pray it. But why would God answer you when he didn't answer any of your ancestors? So you begin to lose hope. And you begin to think, you know what, maybe this is our lot in life. There will be no freedom. But then one day... You're in the field working, and all of a sudden you hear the sound of horses riding toward you, and you look off into the distance, and out and uh, up to you comes General Granger, Union General, and he reads to you these words that you have been dying and praying to hear your entire life. You are free. How would you feel hearing those words of freedom proclaimed to you? And let's go even further. Imagine you're the one that gets to go proclaim that good news to them, to the slaves. You are free. The Union Army is one. You can now live a life of dignity. Saints, we know how it feels. We have been enslaved to sin and to Satan. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 
He says, pray that God would open the eyes and grant repentance to those who are held captive by Satan to do his will. Jesus says, the one who sins, the one who serves sin is a slave of sin. And guess what? We also know how it is to be freed, emancipated by the great emancipator, Jesus of Nazareth who says that if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. And now he says, don't just sit there and wait to go to heaven. He's given us this duty, this privilege, this blessing. He said, I want you to take this emancipation proclamation of my gospel to those who are still enslaved to sin and to Satan. Y'all, I think, and I, I said this this morning, I think we think that we are doing God this favor by saying, okay, God, I'll tell people about you. As if he needs something from us. Y'all, he's not a needy God. He's self-sufficient within himself. He don't need us. But here's the amazing thing about our God. He doesn't need us. He wants us. God says, I want you to partner with me. I want you to, 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 to walk with me and to do ministry with me in the healing of the world. I want you. I don't need you, but I want you. And we don't want a needy God. We don't want a needy God. Women, you don't want a needy man. So why would we need, want a needy God? We don't want that. And guess what? We don't have one, but we have a God who says, I love you. I care for you. Yes, I can choose the angels to do this work of evangelizing and missions. And guess what? They probably would do a lot better job than we would, and we do. But he says, I don't want them. I want you to partner with me. We've been given this holy privilege and duty and blessing from the Lord. The question becomes, are we obeying him by taking the gospel, not just to those across the street from us, but taking the gospel to those across the sea as well. The book of Romans, and our message is the beautiful feet from Romans 10, 13, and 15. And our passage uh, is in this book of Romans. And the book of Romans is really the Apostle Paul's, almost his missionary prayer support raising letter. He's letting them know about his ministry. He's answering their questions. And then at the end of the book of Romans, he says, will you contribute so that I can get to Spain and so I can preach the gospel where Christ has not yet been named. And in chapters 9 through 11, of which our passage this morning is a part of, he's addressing the issue of Jewish Israel and their place and God's redemptive plan for the world, for the cosmos. And the Gentiles, non-Jewish Christians are asking Paul, Paul, hey, we Gentiles believe in Yeshua of Nazareth. We believe in Jesus of Nazareth. We believe he's the Messiah of Israel and the Savior of the nations. But we got to ask, brother, your people aren't really believing in Jesus. What's going on? Like, did God's plan fail? Because all throughout the Hebrew Bible, we see that God says he's going to save Israel and they're going to come to know him. But yet at present, the majority of the Jewish people have rejected Jesus and we've received him. What's going on? And Paul is explaining this to him. And he's also sharing his evangelistic heart. What do I mean? He says, I pray that my fellow Israelites would be saved. 
My prayer to God for them, Romans 10:1, my prayer to God for them, for Israel, is that they may be saved. And he writes to the Roman church, and listen, the Jewish people, they have a zeal for God. They want to serve God, but they don't realize that the way to become right with God is not by obeying God's law. Because guess what? God's law condemns them, but hold on, Gentiles, the law of God also condemns you. What are the two—thank you, Joy. What are the two great commandments? Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Fam, ain't none of us done that. Neither one. But there is one, Jesus Christ, who perfectly loved God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he perfectly laid down—he perfectly loved his neighbor, but how? By laying down his life for us. He loved us so much that he says, I'm willing to pour out my life's blood for you. I'm willing to have my body broken for you. And Paul says, in order to be right with God, we must repent. Turn from sin and trust in Jesus alone, and we will be saved. And you know what? One thing that Paul also says, which I find is outstanding, is in the best way, it's crazy to me because I can't imagine me ever saying this. And I'm going to ask a question. I want a show of hands. Be honest. I got a question for y'all. If God came to you and said, listen, if you give up your salvation, if you're willing to give up your salvation, die and go to hell, I'll save all these other people over here. I'll save thousands, millions of people if you would give up your own salvation. Who here would take that deal? No one. Good. I'm glad you could be honest. I wouldn't take that deal either. I'm like, no, Lord, listen. They all have a choice. I have a choice. I'll pray for them. I'll do what I can, but I'm not going to give up my own salvation for them. Nah, man. No, I'll pray. I'll pray for them. But Paul says that I am willing to be cut off from Christ if the Jewish people can be saved. And then he asks something more. He goes, if you can't, you think I'm exaggerating, the Holy Spirit bears witness with my spirit. The Holy Spirit is showing you that I'm not lying. Why do I say that? Does our hearts break for the loss like Paul's? Are we willing to lose some hours of sleep to wrestle with God, as Jacob did in Genesis 32, wrestle with God, said, God, I will not let you go until you bless me. How? By saving this person. I'm interceding for them, Lord. I'm not willing to let you go, Heavenly Father, until you save them like you saved me because you're a God who's gracious and abundant of, in, in loving kindness. Do our hearts honestly break for the lost? When is the last time we've shared the gospel verbally with someone? Not just invited them to church. Keep doing that. When is the last time we actually shared the message of Jesus Christ with someone who was on their way to an eternity under the wrath of God? And in verse 13 of our passage, Paul makes it clear who this message is for. He says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone, not just the Jewish people, but the Gentiles as well. This gospel is for everyone. But there's a problem, though. 
One thing that I love doing uh, is going to college campuses and sharing the gospel with those who don't know. So I love open-air preaching, passing out gospel tracts, just talk, striking up a conversation, just chopping it up with people. And I remember going to this campus and talking to this really, really respectful brother named Austin. 19 years, 19 years old, student, atheist. And uh, he's like, you know, I'm an atheist, man, but do you still want to talk to me? I'm like, you're one of my favorite people to talk to. Let's talk. Like, t tell me why you chose atheism over any of the other religions. Like, I want to know what evidence you have. So we started talking, great conversation. And at the end of the conversation, he's like, man, maybe I need to think more about God. I'm like, yeah, I think you do, bro. Please do. Check it out. Go to church. Come to church with me. Let's talk more. And at the end of the conversation, I asked him, I said, Austin, has anyone ever talked with you about Jesus? Ever. You're 19. This is in Southern California when I lived down there. I said, there's churches all around. Has anyone ever actually spoken to you about Christ? And he looks, he goes, no, never. I go, no one's ever told you about Jesus in your 19 years of life. He goes, no, never. This is the first time I've actually, like, we've, I've spoken to someone about it. People all around us, they know some of the facts. They know that Jesus died and supposedly rose, but they don't know what that means for them in the year 2022. We've been given the privilege to help connect the dots for people and to show them what this Jewish man from Nazareth has to do with them now in 2022. And that's the problem, though. The problem, because I, I start to think, I said, if Austin, who lives here in America, does not know about Jesus, how much more do people overseas not know about Jesus? And guess what? They don't have a Bible in their language. They don't have a church on every corner. They don't even know a Christian. And I broke my heart. The problem is that the gospel is for everyone, but not everyone has heard about the gospel. According to the Joshua Project, a people group, uh, sorry, an unreached people group is a people group among which there is no indigenous community of believing Christians with adequate numbers and resources to evangelize that people group without outside assistance. According to the same ministry, there are 17,406 people groups with 7,402 of those people groups unreached, which means that 42.5% of Earth's people groups have yet to be reached with the gospel. Unfortunately, that's not all. According to Wycliffe Bible Translators, there are 7,360 languages in the world with the full Bible being translated into 704 of those languages. What does this mean? One in five people don't even have a copy of the Bible to read. And what I say next, I'm not trying to guilt trip anyone. That doesn't work. But I'm just, y'all, can we just keep it real today? How many Bibles do we have on the shelves that we don't read? We say I don't have time to read the Bible, but I'm sorry. Who here has an iPhone? Does anyone else get convicted on Sundays when they say this is your screen time? And I'm like, bruh, stop. I didn't ask for that. I didn't ask for you to tell me how long I've been on my social media apps this last week. And yet, I'm like, I ain't got time to read the Bible, but my screen time is like, eh, you're lying. You was, on the, you was on Facebook and social media for hours. I don't say that to, 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 to guilt, but it's just to be honest. And yet there's people who 
don't even have a Bible to read. Let me break it down just a little bit further. According to the Joshua Project, there are 7.84 billion people on the face of the earth with 3.27 billion still unreached for Christ. 3.27 billion who have never heard of Jesus, who are still unreached. So 41.8% of earth's population don't know that God loves them so much that he sent his son to die for them and to save them and to rise again from the dead for them. They don't know that they can become members of God's kingdom or, as my pastor likes to call it, God's new society and live a spiritually abundant life now. And they don't know that they're still in their sins and on their way to a very real place called the lake of fire. And that is tragic. And I know some people might have been like, bro, I was with you up until you mentioned hell, homie. Lake of fire. And people have asked, how is it fair that people who have never heard of Jesus go to hell? And that is a fair question. I understand it. I've asked it. I've thought about this. But the Bible talks about something called general revelation. And general revelation is the knowledge about God that we get from nature and our own conscience, from creation in our conscience. According to the Bible, humanity knows that God exists. Here's the way. Just like a painting shows that there's a painter and a building shows that there's a builder, creation shows that there is a creator, the creator. And Paul says they're without excuse. You're without excuse if you deny the existence of God. And even more than that, we have our conscience. We have this innate sense of right and wrong. We know that some things are just wrong intrinsically. One thing that I love, maybe not say love, but one thing that I find amusing is when people say there is no objective truth, Anthony. There's no objective morality. What's good for you, hey, Christianity works for you, cool. It doesn't work for me. What's true for you is not true for me. So one thing I'll ask them, I'll say, okay, can I ask you a question? Sure. Is slavery morally, objectively wrong? And they get this look on their face because who wants to tell the black guy that slavery is not objectively wrong? <laughs> so I let them squirm a little bit. I watch, pray for me. But I let them watch it. I'm like, was it wrong for my ancestors to be objectively enslaved and lynched and everything else that came along with that? And eventually they'll say, well, okay, it's objectively wrong. But I say, okay, if that's objectively wrong, then there is a God. Because you can't have an objective law without an objective lawgiver. That's what Dr. King said in the letter from a Birmingham jail. He was writing to ministers who were basically telling them, hey, you're going way too hard on this whole civil rights thing. America says that this is okay. And he wrote to them, he says, the law of America says that segregation is wrong, is, is, is okay, it's right. But there is a law above the law of America. There's a law above the law of the land that says that it is wrong because we're made in the image of God and we are called to love our neighbors as ourselves. This is objectively morally wrong. Why do we know that? Because there is a God and we know it. And general revelation is not enough to save us, it's enough to condemn us. 
What we need is special revelation. What is that? The gospel. And let me just ask you this question, guys. If people who automatically go to heaven, who are people who've never heard of Jesus, if they automatically go to heaven, what is the worst thing that we can do to those people? Someone say it out loud. Thank you. The worst thing you can do to someone is tell them about Jesus. Why? If they're automatically going to heaven, leave them alone. Don't tell them about Jesus Christ. Why would you do that? Because as soon as they hear, they're held responsible, and now they can go to hell. We should send no missionaries. Don't translate the Bible. Don't mention anything about Christ. Don't pray for them. Just leave them alone. But, y'all, we know that's not true. This is why we sacrifice and give money to send missionaries to the uttermost parts of the world. This is why we translate the Bible into different languages. Because according to Paul in verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, by the word of God. We know they must hear. There is one Savior of sinners, and his name is Jesus Christ. And all must hear. All must hear. And listen, people don't go to hell because they haven't heard of Jesus. They go to hell like anyone else because of their sin. And because they act against the light that they have already. That's why. Because we know right from wrong to some extent and we act against that. And we shake our fists in God's face and rebel. And yet God loves us, his rebellious creatures. He says, I'm still coming for you to save you. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that we get to tell others about. A God who says, I'm relentlessly pursuing you with my love and grace and mercy, with my salvation. What did Jesus say? I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. It's not the righteous or those who think they're righteous who need a doctor. It's those who know that they're sick and in need of a physician. This is our Savior. And then Paul goes on, he goes in verses 14 and 15, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Our Lord Jesus Christ has sent us. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. But does he stop there, guys? Does he say just Jerusalem and that's it? Just stick to your own peoples. Don't worry about the rest of the world. No. I want you to go to the uttermost parts of the world. Pastor Brian read for, uh, Isaiah 49, 5 through 6. God says, Jesus, it's too light. In other words, this is too small. Just for you to be the savior of Israel, way too small. And Jesus says, I agree. He goes, you will be the savior of the nations. The nations will look to you, Jesus, and be saved. That goes back to the Abrahamic covenant. Abraham... I'm choosing you. Why? Because in you, Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed. What does it mean ultimately? Jesus. Us. We are blessed because of Jesus. Y'all, this is good news. I get hyped about this. Why? Because I shouldn't be saved. 
I know what I deserve. I know I deserve hell. I know I deserve God's wrath. And yet God sent Jesus Christ to save a sinful man like me. I can't just be quiet about that because he deserves too much. And I have to tell others the good news that there is a Savior who offers you forgiveness and salvation and meaning and purpose and hope and everything. He offers you the kingdom. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel, Paul says. It is the greatest news of all. How can we keep it to ourselves? Y'all, can, can I keep it real? Can we keep it real today? We're so full of ourselves. I don't want to talk to this person about Jesus because I don't want them to be upset with me. So you're going to put their eternity over your feelings? Jesus isn't worth you being laughed at or mocked or losing a friend. Guys, I'm not trying to get on you. This is just me being honest. Let's just keep it real. I asked my friend once, I said, how do you just go out there and share the gospel so much with people, man? I get so scared. He goes, you want me to be honest with you, Aunt? I said, be honest with me, man. He goes, you're full of yourself. You think way too much of yourself. You have so much pride. Who cares? It's not about you, man. I was like, well, dang, homie. Okay, I didn't know you were going to be all like that. <laughs> I, was, I was hoping for some tips, some, you know. But I, I thought about it. My wife, I told my wife, she was like, no, he's right. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, okay. I'm not asking anyone else to be honest with me today. Because obviously the Holy Spirit's been waiting to say this to me. But when we go out there and share the gospel, the elect of God will call on the name of the Lord and they will re they'll be saved. That's God's promise. Those whom I chose before the foundation of the world will come to my son. That should give us hope. That should give us confidence that those whom the Father chose in eternity past will hear the gospel and the Holy Spirit will bring them to the Father through the Son. Reformed theology is not something we beat people over their heads with and we fight about. It's something that warms our hearts and gives us this motivation to share the gospel here at home and overseas. And then lastly, verse 15, it says, As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, or the good news. Why? Because they bring the gospel to those enslaved. They're, they're telling people who are still in their sin and the bondage to Satan that Jesus offers you spiritual freedom. Listen, your feet might not be physically appealing, but God says that they are beautiful in his sight. What would have happened if General Gordon Granger never went to my people in Texas and told them you're free? What would happen to those 3.27 billion who have never heard if we don't go, if we don't sacrifice, if we don't sin, if we don't take this seriously, y'all, we have work to do. And it's exciting. Y'all, living with Christ is exciting. When folks are like, oh, Christianity's born, I'm like, bro, you ain't following the real Jesus then. I'm not saying it's always like, you know, roller I'm not saying it's always fun. But what I am saying is that it does give life meaning. And a lot of times following Jesus is fun. 
A lot of times following Jesus is exciting. He's very unpredictable in the best way. It's like the Chronicles of Narnia. He's not, he's a good lion, but he's not tame. Oh, no, 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 no. We don't serve a tame God. We serve a God who does whatever he wills, and he invites us into that process as well. And at times that's very scary and also exciting, and we get to join our Savior. If you are a Christian, God says, because of what Christ has done for you, you have beautiful feet. But we don't go to the lost out of guilt or shame. That's not a good thing. No. We don't go to the lost because we feel guilty or ashamed. No. We go out of love for God, and we want to see him glorified. We go because we love our neighbor as ourselves, and someone shared the gospel with us. Let's return the favor. It should break our hearts that anyone could die unforgiven by God. That should utterly break our hearts. That should terrify us. And it should lead us to go talk about the good news of Jesus Christ. And why else do we go? We go because Christ first came to us. Why do we love God? Because he first loved us. Why do we go to the world? Because Christ first went to the world. And we tell them about the Savior whose hands and feet and side were pierced to bring healing to the world. The feet that went, the beautiful feet of Jesus, when we stand before the throne as we sang today, when we stand before the throne and we kneel at the feet of Jesus Christ, what we'll see is feet pierced for us. We'll see hands embrace us that have the marks of those nails. You want to know if God loves you? Look to the wounds of our Savior that he still bears to this very day. Look to the fact that he sits upon the throne of David, ruling and reigning, interceding for you even now. And listen to his sweet voice calling you to come into mission with him. And I want to just invite. I, I never preach without inviting people who may not know Christ to come to know him. I know we're in a church. I'm assuming all of you are saved, but you just never know. If you are not a Christian today, if you're watching, if you're here, the Bible says to call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. What does that mean, though? It means to acknowledge that you're a sinner. Ask God to forgive you for your sins. Be honest with them. Don't play games. No more hiding. Be honest with him. He already knows. And then trust in Jesus Christ alone to save you. And he will. Before we pray out, I want you to listen to these lyrics from a, a Christian rapper named Lecrae out of Atlanta. And he has a song named, I see you, man, bobbing your head. I see you. He has a song named Beautiful Feet from back in 2008. And it's featuring this, uh, another artist named Don Toya. And these are the lyrics. Go, go, go. Run with those beautiful feet. Go, go, go. You hold the truth that saves, so run and shout it to the world. They can't believe in something they ain't never heard, so go, go, go.
and run with those beautiful feet. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the beautiful feet of our dear Savior, our dear Lord Jesus. Father, use us. Holy Spirit, invigorate, light our hearts on fire. May, as someone once said, may the fire of the Holy Spirit melt the lead in our feet. And may we go. May we care more about you, Father, and our neighbors, both here at home and overseas, than we do about our own feelings or reputations. Help us to be more concerned for obedience, not born out of guilt or shame, none of that, Lord God. You forgive, your grace is abundant, but out of love for you and neighbor. Help us to be less full of ourselves and more full of your spirit, for that is what we need. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Anthony. You got me fired up.